What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 51 of Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. That's right. Episode 51, that means we're coming up on a year. And wow, what a year it's been, huh? Today uh, marks the first day that our part of New York is starting to open up again after lockdown. And the world is a lot different of a place, which means these conversations about mental health are even more important to have. So please keep checking out the show. You can also check out our new website at AboveGroundPodcast.net. So happy that we got that going. Uh, there's a blog there, and it's it's going to be cool. It's a work in progress, obviously, just like everything is in this world. But today's episode is awesome, and it marks the first episode where we have a conversation with someone outside of the two of us. And she is an awesome person. Her name is Amanda Matheson, and she is a master in social work. She is a researcher, a Ph.D. student. But not only that, she is a veteran. That's right. She served in the Army, New York Army National Guard and served in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom from 2008 to 2009. We were so grateful to talk to her, and we thank her so much for being on. We hope you enjoy it. So check it out. Let it roll. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another week of Above Ground Podcast. Because you up, can't Timmy? serve below. That's right, because you can't serve below. So today we have a very special episode because we are coming up on one year of doing this. And Tim and I are so grateful to have everybody that checks in and listens to us. And uh, we're so happy to be able to provide information and just get together and have these conversations, these not so easy conversations to have. Um, but today we are starting a new thing. For, the, for this year's Above Ground Podcast, which we're bringing in people from all walks of life and all mental health related people to interview and hear their stories and find out what they've, they're working on and what they've done and how they got to this point. And today we are blessed with our very first guest who is Amanda Matheson. And Amanda, I would love for you to tell everyone a little bit about yourself before we get into the interview. Yeah, sure. Um, thank you for having me. It's great to see both of your faces. I've known you now for a couple of years. Um, and um, thank you for having me because I love talking about mental health. Um, I've been in the field for quite a, quite a few, few years. Um, I've got my master's in social work um, and I specialize in mental health, particularly veterans' mental health, but I really am a proponent of all, uh, all people having mental health. Oh, because we all do have mental health. Whether That's we right. have mental wellness is a different story. <laughs> That's right. Can't have physical health without mental health. That's right. You can't have any health without mental health. That's the way we right. look at it here at Above Ground Podcast. So how did you find your way into the mental health field? Did you come from your own challenges? Did you see a need? Was it sort of a little bit of everything? 
Yeah, so to tell you a little bit about my background, I served in the New York Army National Guard for six and a half years, um, and I deployed to Iraq in 2008. Um, and I think what I really got away, took away from my time in the service is that mental health is a, a topic that should be addressed everywhere and with everyone. Um, so I just saw, you know, a need for people to speak about how they're doing, um, to be honest about what's going on with them. Um, and I specifically, you know, coming out of the veteran population, think that can be a challenge because there's a huge stigma. Granted, there's a stigma of mental health in every domain, but it's really bad sometimes for veterans because we're, they're sh we're taught not to show weakness. Um, but I like to really get across that mental health isn't weakness. Mental health is knowing where where you where you're strong and where you might struggle and need a little help but getting help doesn't make you weak it making getting help makes you stronger absolutely that's exactly what i was going to say it's 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 not a weakness i think it's a huge strength to uh just number one be able to say yes i i am dealing with this and i have this or i am i'm struggling and and then to furthermore i'm going to get help Absolutely. Now, did you now did you experience any challenges while you were serving your your country, or were you experiencing prior to this? Or yeah, I mean, I would to be completely honest. I think I was always a little bit sort of on the depressed side a little bit, um, but you know, I was always you know very motivated to serve and to you know do something with my life and have a career. Um, but I think what I learned in the military, um, when you're working, especially when you're deployed in a foreign country, uh, which is an experience all by itself for anyone. Um, but I learned that, you know, it's, it's really, it can be really stressful working, you know, every day, 14 to 20 hours a day. Um, and I just think that much like we take care of our, our physical health in the military, uh, our mental health should be stressed as well. Um, so yeah, I you know it got depressing um, being in a in a country um, and really trying to be there for the benefit of you know the world, the our our own country, um, and just you know questioning a lot of things. And it's just like it's a huge life changing experience, and anyone could you know come through that with like challenges and struggles. So. Um, I think it makes you a better person, a, a stronger person, but it doesn't mean it's not, it, it's not easy. <laughs> right. It doesn't mean that it's not going to affect you in some way, whether, whether you realize it or not, you know, whether it's a conscious thing or, or not. I'm sure it has to open your eyes to a different side of humanity because especially in times of war, you are faced with all kinds of humanitarian questions and issues. I mean, you're, you, you have the power to take someone's life, yet you have the power to, you're changing other people's lives in that, in the name of, you know, whatever you're fighting, fighting for. And then you also have to take care of the people that you're in charge of and that rely on you to be there. So, and what I'm wondering is, is how does, how does your mental health hold up over those 15, 20 hour days where you're literally faced with incoming you know, income fire and, and not just that, but like downtime mm -hmm. when you're not on super hyper alert or are you always on super hyper alert? 
Well, I think to, to try to answer your question, I think the main thing is just remembering the mission and also remembering the people you're serving with and that camaraderie and that teamwork, that mission and purpose. Also thinking about your family back home and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, I think it's important, um, especially in stressful times, to know how to take care of your mental health. Um, you know, just because one person goes through the experience one way doesn't mean that someone might need to go through it a different way and finding what works for them to, um, you know, really, you know, stay in the game, so to speak, and get the mission done. And I think leaning on the supports of, you know, the people around you is, is so, um, so powerful. Like, I don't think I would have gotten through the deployment if it wasn't for some of my closest friends and, and, and buddies, I guess. That's wow. awesome. I, I actually um, listened. There was a, a, a few, actually, I've listened to um, veterans and stuff talk about, uh, sorry, a few different podcasts that uh, have veterans on as guests. And that whole, that whole first thing, it was almost like, it was almost like identical. They said the same thing that you did as far as focusing on the mission. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, that kind of gets us. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. And sometimes like, you know, if you're questioning the mission or if you're, you know, you're not sure are you having existential questions or, you know, want to be back home, don't know why you're there. You look to your right and your left and you see the people that are with you. And that gives you strength, honestly. So that kind of brings us to the topic of the day, which um, in our conversation, we kind of set forth, which was who defines mental illness or who defines mental health? Is it, is it the consumer survivor ex patient? Is it the service provider? Is it, is it society? Is it, is it a combination of all of it? Or, yeah. or like, how, like where do we start to un, unpack some of that stuff? Yeah, there's a lot in that question. I, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, like, uh, you know, I think, uh, the, it's a good question. I think who, who defines, I think when you're defining mental health, you got to think about who is defining it. So I think there's a long tradition of experts you know, that may or may not have their own mental health struggles or challenges. Um, talking about how do we categorize, how do we label, how do we weed through, you know, different symptoms. And honestly think, I, I personally think uh, the, the classification for mental health um, is a bit wonky. So, um, you know, who, who, who decides what's a normal behavior, what's an abnormal behavior? Um, my personal take on it, is that if, if you are not hurting yourself or others, um, you know, and, you, and you're, you know, doing all right, you're doing your own thing, that, that, then that's okay. Um, I think too many times what, what comes across with labels, of, like the mental health diagnosis, is that it automatically sets people up to be scared of, to be scared of other people. Um, Absolutely. Just, you know, I'm depressed or I'm bipolar or, or whatever it is, I have schizophrenia. Um, doesn't mean that I'm not a person and have all the other aspects of being a person. You know, I have a personality, I have hobbies, I have interests. Those are the things that we have to realize, you know, just because someone puts a label on something doesn't mean they're any different than us. That's awesome. Cause I, what I'm learning as I'm, as I'm working on my peer certificate um, for New York state, I, I'm learning more and more about 
what stigma has been brought on by the actual professionals themselves who define this as, as clearly if you in recovery to the medical model is you have no symptoms, you are completely fine. You're not on anything and you are healed. And I don't think that there's ever a true healing because to me, recovery and Tim, you can explain your side of recovery because as someone who lives in major depressive disorder, was diagnosed with bipolar two, um, and is non-compliant with medicine to use a medical term because I just don't I don't see the value in it myself or me. Um, when I can have other tools, I, I find that recovery to me is very fluid because you may have up days and you're going to have down days. So what's to say that your down day is really to be amplified because you have a diagnosis or maybe that the diagnosis or the label actually amplifies that even more because it puts that thought in your head of, of being a green bellied snitch, man, a snitch, you know snitch, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Let me, I got, I got to just say one thing be, be, before I forget this train of thought because, um, well, you kind of really, when you first started talking, started to say what was on my, my mind was that, like Amanda was discussing about uh, def defining things and, and different um, categories and such. But I think even before, I mean, this is just something that popped in my head. Is I think there's a stigma on these little individual um, subsidies or whatever you want to call them before you even put a diagnosis. There's already a stigma on, on depression. On Oh, Absolutely. So it's like, like you said, there's like, I don't know if I want to use the term like systematically uh, stigmatized. Institutionalized, or, maybe? Yeah, I don't, the, I don't know. I don't know. a proper term for it, maybe? I don't know. But I'm just, I, it's, you know, like there's, it's, it's such a convoluted thing to try and, um, you know, have a discussion on this stuff because there's so many elements to it. And I, and I think that's one of them, though. Where yeah. do you stand on that, Amanda? Yeah, no, I agree. And I was thinking about that. Um, if we're looking for dysfunction, um, and no, and I know this because, you know, I my bachelor's in psychology and I have my master's in social work. So I've been in the mental health field for a while. But when you're looking for a dysfunction, you'll find it. So a typical experience of any um, anybody studying in the mental health field is that you start looking into the, the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic categorical um, uh, mental mental disorders, the book, um, anyone could be labeled with a mental illness if you look hard enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> also be labeled healthy or on a, on a spectrum. I honestly believe it's a spectrum. Um, I, I believe that everyone has, you know, a mental health, mental wellness, and they might, they might also have mental illness or mental disorder. Um, but that's just a name for another category of something that's going on, but that doesn't define them. Um, just like, you know, I'm not just a veteran. I'm not just a PhD student. That doesn't completely define me. Um, you know, I have other aspects and interests in my life. And I think if, if we're always looking for dysfunction and what's wrong with someone, we're going to find it. Um, so why not focus on what, what works for people and what's keeping them healthy? Um, and I think that's something Almost have to consider is what almost like treating the individual not the diagnosis basically yes, yes. yes. there's a famous quote on that yes mm -hmm. do you know the quote or no not off okay. the top of my head no, all right that's fine <laughs> i didn't know if you did that's all right yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot but i i i, I not to interrupt you but i i think that is 
that is like that's pretty much how I view it. It's that was spot on for me. I I totally agree with the whole spectrum thing, and it's you know I think one end is obviously the illness side, and one end is is the is the wellness side, and we're all on it. And I think with that kind of a, a model, I think it might help define things and not mm-hmm. make things. Um, it might make things less uh, stigmatized and less confusing and, and, and more helpful. I, that's just my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And I think there's one other dimension of that, that spectrum that you're on, it's constantly fluctuating. So someone that's mentally well one day might have a bad day and they'll, they'll or someone that's always been mentally healthy might, you know, the next day turn up and have a traumatic experience or, a number of circumstances could happen in their life. And so what I don't think people realize is that we're all at risk for mental illness. So my, you know, be concerned about our wellness. Absolutely. And and as we're talking about illness, my question to you is, is I've, I've been told, I've heard professionals say that there's a difference between illness and disorder where mood disorders are different than mental illnesses. Like my mother is schizoaffective disorder. And they still deem that a disorder, but yet schizophrenia is deemed an illness because of the bias. Can you explain that a little bit? Maybe I'm a little bit off on my, my definitions of it. I, I honestly think different fields may view it differently. Um, but the model that I kind of operate under is that, you know, we all, there's medical disorders and those can be physical or psychological. Um, so uh, there's physical disorders, um, you know, Parkinsonism, um, diabetes, anything like that. Then, then there's mental disorder, which, you know, could be a uh, mood disorder. It could be um, neurological, um, like PTSD or anxiety, uh, TBI. There's also um, things that are, you know, physiological, but can only be explained by psychological concepts, um, sort of like eating disorders, I think would be a good example. Okay. Uh, so do you, do you think that one can cause the other? I'm sorry. What was do you that? think that one of those, um, like you were giving different examples, like the physical, um, yeah. and, the, and the psychological, I mean, I feel like as you were naming them in my head, I'm going, well, one could possibly cause the other as well. Yeah, th- yes. And I think that's a very important, another sort of nuance of mental health and health in general is that mental and physical health aren't completely separate. They very much influence each other. And I advocate for a holistic approach, which is looking at all, you know, avenues and aspects of, you know, your body and your wellness, your, your heart, your soul, your body, your mind, all are interconnected. Yes. I think we um, I think we're seeing in real time what interconnectedness really means now and this at, at, while we're while we're going through all the stuff that we're watching unfold in front of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the things that, you know, might have been the topic of another show but like how much this this um pandemic is affecting our mental health and it's really bringing to the forefront you know, why we have to focus on it, why, why mental health is so, is so important. And why we have to place humanity over everything else that's kind mm-hmm. of being ripped apart in front of us. I, yeah. So, I, um, Tim, is there anything that 
do you, do you have anything specific that you wanted to bring up before? Not, I mean, I just see, I don't know um, as far as uh, technical terms or maybe like, um, I don't know if you want to refer to them as medical terms, but like, um, like a disorder or an illness to me, it's like, it's though when, when you say disorder or illness, it's normally somewhat curable and it's not transmittable where a disease is, is more of, it's not curable and it is transmittable. I don't know if that helps the situation at all, but I also, um, disorder itself it can be used like it's kind of has like some um, multiple definitions it's a state of confusion was one of them and which i thought was interesting you mm -hmm. know yeah so honestly i think uh disorder is just a terminology for a group of symptoms so or or a group of um you know a cluster of of something you know uh that they label as such um one thing I really wanted to say that I think that is important as far as the distinction between disorder and dis illness, at least from what I've read, is that illness refers to the clinical manifestations of a disorder. Okay. So, so that's like the symptoms, like that's what the patient experiences. Um, it's a very fine distinction. Um, and again, I just, I like to reiterate that, you know, all of these things should I think fall under medical disorder because it's all about your health and, and the interconnectedness of your well-being. Um, and then as far as disease, I mean that's an interesting an interesting topic too because um, I'm I'm not entirely aware what distinct what distincts what determines what's a disease and what's an illness and what's a disorder. You know. No, thank you for that because that actually was a good uh, you know for, for as far as um, on the uh, medical side of things. You know the definition so that that is good I, I um now so would you say just after saying that like it just popped into my head like a, a men uh, like a medical illness would would that be uh like a a, a possible term i yeah no because i think a medical illness from my understanding would be the manifestations of a a medical disorder that's physical a physical gotcha yeah so medical illness, but I mean, honestly, medical is just the terminology, which is a whole nother uh, topic. Right, right. That's yeah. Who gets to determine these things? Um, exactly. Exactly. I my, uh, one of the, I don't know the full history of mental health, but I know that there was a strong um, consumer health movement. Yes, I, there is. In the seventies. And that's when people that were experiencing the, the problem, if you will, yeah. the, you know, mental health challenges, came out and said, this is what we're experiencing. We're the experts on this, you know, listen to us rather than having someone that's never had you no know, symptoms or had that experience tell, tell them what their life is like. So Absolutely. I think that's a right. strong um, point to be made. That's where the whole peer support movement came from was that yes. sort of that consumer survivor ex patient movement. Um, which was really brought forth by, by civil rights. I, it's amazing the correlation between civil rights, uh, the LGBTQ community with, with um, 
with gay rights and everything, how all this kind of came about around the same time during those also, tumultuous 60s, during the Vietnam era where people were protesting the war and then they realized that there was all kinds of other stuff going on. And then One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest came out and like, <laughs> the meta, well, it, it, that was, that played a big part in it, which I no didn't kidding, realize. Yeah. yeah, going through, like I'm, I'm going through the history of the peer movement now because of the coursework that I'm doing. Right. And I was surprised at the correlations I wasn't surprised at the correlations because everything kind of piggybacks off the other, but I didn't realize how much they were interconnected because so many of those like gay rights, obviously homosexuality was actually listed in the DSM for a very long time until it was, until it was finally. Was it really? Yes. Yeah. Which (laughs) is, which, which again, you know, you're you're talking about, you know, you're talking about literally people who have, have, issues within themselves of trying to discover who they are, but yet you're already labeled something that has nothing to do with right with that. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. But it's, and that and that right there within itself, I it took to me, that's why I have a I I shouldn't say I have a problem, but I don't focus much on the labels and diet because you it just it to me it, it it it's a divide. I think it divides us. I think when we talk about certain, like we were just talking, everything, you know, mental illness or medical illness or whatever you want to call it, it's all, we're all, you know what I mean? I know, but I I think where the divide comes in is the fact that we can't, we can't accept other people's journeys because we don't walk in those shoes. And we get into this divide because we have this preconceived notion that your journey doesn't matter because it's, it's this, like we've made up this, we've made up this bullshit about my journey is, is more, is, is more beneficial or my stigma or like we've kind of gotten into this separate thing where it's my, 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 like my, like my diagnosis is more dire than yours or my illness. It's kind of like one of those competition. That's what the competition that I always speak about. Yeah, the the you know the the arms race of diagnoses, I guess. I, I you know for for lack of better terms. So yeah. I I so for you being in the field, is, so if somebody is is in need of help, okay, is there something, is there is there something to look for in a in a counselor or therapist, or is there something to look out for? where you may not want to be with that therapist. Like I've been in and out of therapy. I've had several different therapists and I I've kind of, I've listened to like people in the professional field and then people in the peers field where you're the patient, you, you know yourself better. If a therapist isn't willing to work with you within your diet, within your paradigm, is there Mm -hmm. a time to move on from one or is there, is there something that we should look out for? when we're find when we're trying to find that right fit for us and as far as modalities and, and any of that, is there something that you can tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. So I think sort of an old or a misconception about health is that, you know, when you're, when you're sick, someone takes care of you. And I don't, I don't think that's really the model that we should be working on. And I think when someone is sick, they're the, or, or has any sort of problem, they're the one that has to, that takes the lead. Um, so I think when you're looking for a therapist, you should 
honestly trust your gut and your and your instinct and how how do you feel with that person are they respecting you are they listening to you i think these are all very important questions and if you if you can bring up that conversation with them and say you know i'm not sure if this is the right fit or or how can i make this relationship work better for me because that that's i think what a helping professional does is they're there to assist you know they're in the passenger seat but the driver is you. Um, yes, yes, yes. Don't be stuck with someone who you're not comfortable with or is going in a direction that you don't want to go. Um, and, and it's, you know, I think everyone's style is different, right? So you have lots of different therapists and help, help um, helping professional providers out there. Um, you can go see someone else, hopefully. Um, it, it, that's the way I feel like healthcare should work. You should be able to get the kind of treatment the culturally sensitive treatment that's right for you. It's, you know, it's funny that it's not funny at all because I've heard that it's, and I've experienced this myself. It is very hard to find a therapist now. And I'm wondering because of where we are in this, in, in this world right now, and we're going to have to have providers to help the providers right now because they're being overwhelmed in the healthcare fields with everything that's going on. That is there like, is there a certain set of like, do we need to relook at education as far as who should be educated in this? Should we be bringing in more peer support? Should we have another qualification for peer support that is not necessarily, because not all professionals, like you said, have an experience of, of mental, of mental illness or a mental crisis, a mental health crisis or a diagnosis or anything. So I'm wondering, is there like in the, in the future, like, what do you see? Like, what is like, what would be your vision of mental health in the future for, for consumers and even providers? Like, is there something that you can, is there like some gleam of hope that you can take away that says we should go in this direction or, or I see this happening? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the consumer movement. And I think people that are experiencing challenges um, are the ones that should be in the forefront of decision-making about how to um, tackle or address, cope with those challenges. So um, I, I really would hope that, you know, I think therapy is great. I think therapy is a really wonderful option, but I also think peer support and having that social support with other people is so important as well. So really, I think in combination, you know, it's, you're, you should be golden. You could be golden, you know, and it, and it doesn't hurt to try those things. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. But I think, you know, going forward, this um, pandemic, again, is really stressing the need for more discussion about mental health and more people to be educated about it. So you don't have to be a professional to know about mental health. You can go out and educate yourself. You can talk to other people. You can be open-minded and hear from other people. I think it's so powerful hearing from the experiences of other people. Um, and I think once we're open to that, that's when we start caring about other people's experiences and what they're going through. I think one of the, I like that a lot. And I think uh, I'm going to make two quick points, actually. Um, I've always said this to Will, it is, is I think that, um, making him a board member of the AFSP and, you know, ho hopefully in the future, giving him more, um, more, I don't want to use the word control, but just more um, openness to, to help. 
I think is a huge, huge asset for AFSP just because he, you know, is one of those people that experience and live with that, and, you know, so he can add to it from a, a different perspective and um, come from a different place, you know, not to take away that saying somebody else can't, but um, I just always have said that about Will. And then two, um, damn, what was it? Oh, the, when you would, I know, I know. I'm trying, to write, trying to write stuff down. So you, um, Amanda, earlier you had said something about, um, uh, you know, as far as the mental um, uh, medical community and stuff, we were talking about, so I don't know if it was sort of in the, in the defining part of it, but um, I guess my, my question is to ha um, you had mentioned um, uh, what you will had asked what you kind of uh, would like to see where you would like to see the mental health stuff go as far as the care. And um, I guess my question would be, do you think that it would help if we could on a medical level figure out how um, instead of like when I go to a doctor or when you go to a doctor and if you have a broken bone, they do an x-ray on that. Or if you have diabetes, they do certain tests and they, they concentrate on an organ, so to speak, and they, and, they, and they figure out what's wrong. With mental health, they don't do brain scans. They, they kind of look in a manual and check a few things and say, yeah, let's try this. So do you think, I guess, in changing that um, aspect of it, if that would help any? I mean, that's a very um, interesting perspective. And I would have to say, I'm not, I'm not current on the medical technologies and the uh, the neuroanatomy and neuroscience behind, you know, brain scans and how much can they really tell us? Um, I, I think it's something that needs to be explored, but I also think our model of health may be what's really wrong, the framework. So you only go to the doctor when you're sick, you know, and, and by, by that point, if you have a broken leg, you know, maybe you've been, you know, doing some really consistently heavy impact on your leg and you broke it. So maybe we need to, you know, figure out what is going on in our life right now and what things we can do to make it healthy. Um, same with like any sort of mental illness. I mean, it, sometimes there's circumstances that perpetuate, you know, someone's, uh, you know, if, if you're in your bad situation, you're going to have problems. You know? Right. So you, blaming that on the person saying, oh, you have a mental disorder now because of your, you know, past traumas or whatever. Maybe we should like try to hit, hit the, the, hit the problem before it's a problem, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> circumstances um, in our society that are, are kind of, you know, that might be, um, I just think it's important to look in the environmental factors and, and not just, that's why I think we all need to talk about mental health because you don't just go to the doctor when you're right. And I, you should be on a, a, a wellness plan. All we all should be in in a way. And I think our healthcare system doesn't necessarily encourage that. And I think that's something that could be worked on in the future. No, I, I've heard it said many times that our Western medicine system is great for traumatic injury, but when it comes to treating wellness, it is terrible. Which is why a lot of people tend to gravitate towards Eastern medicine doctors, traditional Chinese medicine and stuff. And, you know, that's, that's a whole other discussion in this country yes. now for, for another time because so many people have, you know, decided that, you know, people are wrong or whatever. But um, I think that there's certain things to be taken from that is that they treat the whole person. 
with right. and, and they treat the wellness part of it like but again i and, and you know we know this you can go to the doctor and the doctor can tell you to exercise but if you actually don't want to go do it you're just not going to go do it so it, is it is it as simple as is the is it the model itself that's broken or is there maybe some puzzle pieces that have been tried to fit together that don't quite have the edges working is, and yeah. a, well, I think it all comes down to like, again, our conceptualization. Yes. Yes. I think both kind of what will, what you just said, I think there's, there's both of those elements. And I do think that if, if we could incorporate this into the education system and almost even further and have this wellness plan kind of like Amanda spoke of, it would it would it would almost become I I hate to say it like a normal thing you know what I mean it's right. like it would be like dude like you don't have to worry about like hey what am I gonna get on this test score you'd be like hey like this is cool I'm gonna go for this test but I'm mentally I'm like okay I don't have anxiety over it because I've learned some things and then that's just gonna progress through your life and then as it progresses through your life if it's a constant thing you as you become a parent or a teacher or whatever it you know what I mean? Better humans become better teachers, become better leaders, become better friends. You know what I mean? So it's they just, just gonna, become better in general. Right. So I think along, you know, a couple of years down the road is when you're going to see it. And as you know, these kids grow up and, and, and become parents and then their kids are going to be in school and the parents are going to be more equipped as parents in the past. So their kids are also going to be, have that benefit, but they're also going to be getting it more in school. So it's kind of, it's going to be coming from both sides. It's going to be, you know, a, a change the way of life. And unfortunately, you know, you have to change the environment for that. I still think we're actually a couple generations shy of that though, because what I, I have more hope for the future when I see the graduating class of this year and, and the next couple of years, because they're a lot more open to a lot of things that a, we didn't have when we were kids. I mean, we didn't have the internet and, I mean, as a kid, you're not really worried about your future yet because you're living in the now. But I still think that at 18 years old, 19 years old, you may be old enough to serve your country, but you may not have the wherewithal in yourself to, to deep dive enough. And you may not have the faculties to do that enough at 18, which is why I think if you open it up, and give the options to that. There's a lot of people that will take that option, but there's a lot of people that won't take that option. So I, I, I still think we're a couple generations shy of actual people being able to put this into a, an action plan of where we start there because we're starting so far below that at this point, or we've started even lower than that. So it's like getting up to that next step of, of how do you start at that point? And granted, yes, it starts at home. Cause everybody, you know, cause what I've learned is by this whole thing and being home all the time and, and being a parent is that I am, I struggle as a parent and it, a lot of it is my internal shit. I mean, that's really what it is. A lot of it's my own internal stuff of dealing with stuff that I, that I still am projecting sort of that trauma that has just kind of filtered through that. Sure. But that, really that at. supports that. And that supports what I just said. Now, if you had this, you know, 30, 40, if we had this system in place 30, 40 years ago, you'd be a, a, 
I mean, I'm not saying anything about you as a person, but I'm saying you'd be oh, right. better. You'd be better equipped. As yeah. A oh yeah. To deal with these things. So therefore you'd be passing that positive, uh, you know, attribute, whatever to your, to your child because right. they, would oh, yeah. they would benefit from you being a, a, a better person. And society as a whole is going to benefit from you being a better person. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I just want to pipe in as a social <laughs> social change takes time, but you can see the progress and you can hope for the future. And the only way to have hope is to keep trying. Right. That's it. But I, I mean, I, that's what hope is, right? Is mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight or, or ever, but I'm just saying, like you said, you got to try and you have to start somewhere. Like we can all yep. sit around a circle and say, this is going on. We got to do something and yep. put up hashtags and, and do promotions and sell t-shirts. But at the end of the day, what are you really doing? Like, let's, let's get down to it. Let's grab some shovels, cut down beneath the, the earth and get to the root and start chopping away at it. That's what we're doing. Yeah, I know. So honestly, I know, I know. you are. The podcast is, a, is awareness raising. Um, and then there's other avenues of policy change, healthcare change. Um, I know, Tim, you're a big proponent of you know education in schools that's that's how we do the that's how we do do change (laughs) yeah and i'm i it's that's what we need and we but we also need to we also need to push that type of thing it's not just about reading a book or going to a doctor it's actually about the be the change you wish to see in the world is what gandhi said so it's like if you really want to see it then you gotta you gotta go out and do the work man you gotta and there's a lot of people out there doing great work no doubt about it i just wonder if if, you know sometimes we're it's hard to it's hard to think that you're doing enough you can always feel like you're never doing enough. And I, and, and that comes down to maybe personal feelings about yourself where you don't feel like you're enough. And that's a whole other. Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't care. I can I constantly say that I'm not doing like, you know, like you're, you just said, be the change. Like, I'm like, I'm not, what am I really doing? I'm not yeah. making a difference at all. I know. That's what it feels like too. It, yeah. It's easy to feel that way when you're thinking large scale, but how do you change large scale? It's with those one or two, personal little moments you have with other people. So one little change, one little conversation with somebody is what leads to mass change, believe it or not. It's hard yeah, to no, see, I agree. you know, you know, fight the fight, the fight but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that statement hundred percent. It's just like Will said, I think it's just me personally and, and my, how I cognitively go through my days it's your you cognitive know. distortion man absolutely <laughs> yeah like i said i'm cognitive distortion man <laughs> that's me that's uh, my superpower that's awesome so tim I and need i a, have I need a superpower. We all have a, you have your superpower your social yeah. worker there you go man that's a uh, ponytail <laughs> princess ponytail there we go <laughs> And your and your and your vehicle of choice is a is a cafe racer, man. So uh, yep. speaking speaking of which, I know because Tim, I, I I sold my last motorcycle before I had spine surgery, and I miss it every day. I was my wife actually asked me the other day if I would ever think about buying another motorcycle, and I said I would always think about it. I always think about it all the time. But do you find that riding helps you with with your mental health? And where mm-hmm. does it play? Like, yes, that's a, one, a wonderful question. In fact, the reason, okay, so I got my motorcycle. I got my, my motor, 
my um, motorcycle tag on my license when I get, came back from Iraq, actually. Um, and what I learned is that riding is just such a freeing experience. And it's something that I can just really concentrate on and ignore everything else. Because when you're riding, you know, you got to focus. You, you really got to be present and in the moment. For me, it's a type of flow. And it's a way for almost me to, it's like a moving meditation for me. Yeah. Um, so I think that really does help with my mental health. And um, I, I think it's a wonderful thing to find when you find whatever activity or whatever thing it is that you enjoy that you can just do and be in the moment with. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I agree. So I agree with that 100%. So Tim and I have, have entertained the idea of asking three final questions to wrap things up and kind of bring things to a lighthearted end in a way without – because this is our heavy conversations that we're having and as a social worker and as in this advocacy field and, and in peer groups and stuff, man, you can have some pretty heavy conversations. Absolutely. So Tim, do you want to ask the first question? Uh, which is the first one? I can't the word, remember. The word. Fa favorite. Do you have, do, Amanda, do you have a uh, favorite or a least favorite word that you would like to share with us? My favorite word. Um, my favorite word, I think, is right now is going to have to be humanity because we all need a little bit of that. And I'm going to say my least favorite as well, which is diagnosis. <laughs> ah, I love it. That's awesome. Very okay. cool. So I, I think I know the answer to this, but cat, dog, or other? Cat. And like four cats. <laughs> oh yeah, that's odd. Is there a reason though? Did you gravitate towards cats? Did you always have cats? Um, Is it a solitary um, thing? Yeah, I think I had cats growing up, and then when I was uh, in my twenties, I got uh, two cats, and so those two cats, um, they they lived through my deployment with me, and one of them, one of them. Oh wow! Yeah, he's thirteen years old this month. Just a, it's a, just a great companion, I think. Yeah, we just lost our last one. We just lost our last one about a month ago, and he Aww. couldn't. We couldn't be with him. My wife had to drop him off at the door and wait, and it was kind of a you know it was tough. But yeah. we're gonna go. I think we're gonna go pet free for a little while because it's been many many years since there was mm -hmm. no pets in this house. And the last question. And I, we kind of hit on this earlier, but if there's one thing that you could do for mental health in general, what would it be? I think it's, I think it's, everyone should listen, listen, honestly, um, because we, we too often come in with these assumptions that, oh, this person is that, this person is this, they have this. Let's just listen to the person, hear their experience. So just a lot more open-mindedness. I like it. Yeah, like very it. good. Good answer. I like, it. I like it a lot. That's awesome. We thank you so much for doing this. You were kind of the, you were the first choice and awesome. you were also. Wait, wait, she was? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she, she really was. She really was because I. It, it was no, just, I know. It, 
it totally works very well. Do you, is there any is there anything that you're working on in particular that you want people to know? Or oh yeah, good. Is there one. anything that you want to finish up with to say, hey, you know, check this out, or I'm doing this, or this is what I'd like to just leave the world. Or even even if things that you have done in the past, I know you've done um, you've done some. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to call them lectures or, or you spoke on veterans and, and stuff like that. And I know you've done some positive work for veterans too. So you yeah. can get a- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm well, sorry, we didn't even get a chance to touch on that because there was some stuff that I really wanted to ask you. So maybe in another month or so, maybe we can reconnect and and discuss veterans issues more more in depth. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do this again. I want to thank you for having me here. It's been an honor. Um, and I think uh, anything that I want to get across is pretty much what we've said. You know, take care of your mental health. Talk about mental health. Um, I'm really value the, um, power of peer support. Um, and hopefully in another year or two, I'll have completed my dissertation on the value of peer support. Awesome. Yeah, we need that. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you, Amanda. We appreciate it so much. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of above ground podcast. Tim and I are so appreciative. We are coming up on this episode is episode 51, I believe. And we are just about at the year mark. And we're going to be doing more interviews with people. And Amanda will be back, hopefully, because she seemed to enjoy it pretty much. So we thank her very much. So until next week, be well. Be safe. Be above. Above. Above Ground Podcast is in no way intended to be a substitute for professional help in any manner or degree. We are not therapists, doctors, or professionals in the medical field. These are the opinions and experiences of two individuals just like you, our peers, who live with mental illness and all of its conditions. If you or anyone you know are experiencing a mental health crisis, please go to your nearest emergency room, call 911, or you can call the National Suicide Hotline 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. 8255. Be well, be safe, be above.